with the breaths that you give us here on earth. And we look forward to however those breaths work in heaven to singing that song anew. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can see it. Whoa, those are three really good songs, Pastor Simon. Team, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Wow. Well, I love you. Good to be back with you and heard that Josiah and Alexis did a great job sharing together last week their serve and what God's doing in the Middle East. And I'm so thankful for them, the opportunity to be a part of, of their lives. Uh, we had a great trip to uh, Juarez. Um, 14 teammates ended up going. Uh, great trip, this is why I put it, great team, great trip. And uh, worked really hard. We got done uh, everything we needed to get done. On the house, amazing how that worked for us this year. Um, thank you so much for all the backpacks and the school supplies that you brought. Uh, over 35 backpacks came in, lots of school supplies. Thank you so much, and um, hopefully there'll be a picture of them here in the uh, pictorial review just in a moment. I want to thank you again for your faithful giving. Four thousand dollars we budget toward that. That's in the budget. Um, we had a gift of five thousand dollars that paid for the rest of the house. It cost ninety-one hundred dollars to build the house. Uh, 4000 from here, and then a gift that somebody gave to us to make up the rest of that, so we didn't have to take any more out of budget for that. Somebody's very gracious. God moved in their life to be able to do that. And then, uh, obviously, the, the teammates, they put together, you know, they pay, we paid $475 each to be able to go, and uh, Jim and Barb did a great job leading us. I mean, we had a great time with Pastor Arturo and Lola, and so give you a little review here, pictorial view. Of, I haven't seen it yet, so it'll be a surprise to me, too, to see what uh, Lisa put together. She always does such a good job for us. So watch the screens if you want.
job, team. Good job, team. All of you. Thank you for sending us to make a difference for us. You saw the picture of me sleeping on Lowell's shoulder there. When you nail six nails, you get really tired, okay? Great trip. So how did your reading of Proverbs go this week? Yeah? Good. I missed yesterday. Yeah? I find it amazing that I can spend five hours writing a sermon, working on a sermon in Proverbs, and forget to read chapter 24. <laughs> how in the world could I do that? I woke up this morning and, and recognized that and talking to Alicia as we're laying there in bed, waking up. She goes, I forgot yesterday too. <laughs> so I've already read chapter 25 and 24 today, okay? So I won't miss it today. But it's just amazing to me. So I know that if, if I have a struggle with it at times, you're going to probably too. But share with me what you're learning. I only got one comment over the past two weeks about something somebody had learned. And I appreciate that. And I'll show that in just a moment. But uh, you'll notice this probably like in Tuesday, your daily bread. You know, I'm just asking you to figure out, you know, where's God speaking to you. Tuesday, um, it talks about trusting Him and being a part of His life. In the bottom of the deal, it says, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Proverbs 19, 2. May we prayerfully, carefully seek God's wisdom and guidance in the choices and decisions we make today. Well, that fits in so well with the sermon for today, verses 8 through 19 of chapter 1. Uh, fear of the Lord, the next one. Uh, Aaron Bozel sent me this, uh, kind of a Facebook post. So it's, well, I've, we talked about that last sermon. What, 18, 19 times fear of the Lord or fear of the Lord is in the book of Proverbs. and That awe and reverence we have for God that He is the Creator, that He is the Sustainer, that He is the Savior. He is the one who keeps our lives together, and we want to praise Him and honor Him. We want to say, Hallelujah. What a Savior. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom, and what God has for us. So I appreciate that. Fear of the Lord is the last time I preached. The fear of the Lord adds life. It subtracts evil. It multiplies life, and it divides the Lord's blessing. That's what it'll do. We'll have this respect for Him and this awe for Him, a part of our lives. We'll have wisdom. We'll avoid evil. We'll have life and its blessing, and the blessing that God gives to us will be divided among people around us because we want to share what He's done in our life. So keep reading. Chapter 25 today, man, so much good stuff there. So much good things. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 1, your tablet, your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, one's found right in front of you. Uh, chapter 1 of Proverbs. We'll start with verse 7, since we talked about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. 
for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths. For their feet will run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Start off with this thought. I think about the first couple verses. Apply what you have been taught. Apply what you have been taught. Has anybody taught you to murder? Has anybody taught you to steal? Has anybody taught you to covet? Then why would you do those things? If you've not been taught those things, why would anybody do those things? But has anybody taught you to fear the Lord? Has anybody taught you to be good to one another and to care for one another? Has anybody taught you to lift the name of the Lord high? Then that's what we should do because that is what we have been taught. And Solomon in speaking to his son and, and to us as his sons down the road and daughters down the road says to us, apply what you have been taught. Now, I realize that our culture has deeply impacted us about what is right and wrong. Years ago, LGBTQ was wrong. Now our world proudly declares it's all right against the teaching of the Word. Much of our culture has also embraced the idea that teaching should be done at school instead of at home. We talked about this Thursday morning in our men's Bible study, gathering together. We're waking up to the fact that per parents are often purposely kept in the dark by the schools about what's happening to their children at school. Parents now are raising their voices to say, we are in charge of our kids, and you will contact us about gender identity issues just like you have to if you need to give my kid an aspirin. I realize that some have not had biblical teaching, so they're at a disadvantage when it comes to biblical wisdom. So that's where we, who have the wisdom of God, we need to be bold and we need to be gracious, getting the word out about what is biblical and what is best for each person. God's best. He knows what's best because he is God. And he created us. And He knows that this is the best for us. And will bless us and will help us and will protect us if we will apply what we have been taught from the Word of God. According to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, 
The Lord has also given each person a conscience, which applauds us when we do right and pricks us when we do bad. It says in Romans chapter 2, they show, and he's speaking of those who don't know him, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That what's here in God's word is written here. It's here. While their conscience also bears witness to that. I mean, they not be, may not be aware of that, but he says it's there because of how we've been made in God's image. And our conscience also bears witness to that same thing. And their conflicting thoughts accuse and even accuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Someday each person will be held responsible for what God has placed within us to tell us there is a God and this is the way you should go. James 4.17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is Everybody's held to that standard. When you know the right thing to do and your conscience says to you, that's not right, and you go against it, it is sin and is a transgression against the holy God. In verse 9, Solomon states that there's a reward. There's a blessing for applying the wise, biblical, righteous teaching you've received. He says this, if, if you'll hear, my son, your father's instruction, and you'll forsake not your mother's teaching, that which is biblical, that which is wise, it will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. It'll be something that identifies you, the graceful garland around your head, the pendant around your neck. It'll be something that identifies you, but it'll also be something that you treasure, that you are so thankful for, that you have received this instruction and teaching that will help you to be a wise guy or a wise gal. It will be obvious about you because that's who you are. So what have you been taught? Who's speaking into your life? Students, good group of them here. What have you been taught and who's speaking into your life? Make sure it's the right people. Because God knows what's best for you. And He cares for you. And He loves you with an everlasting love. You see, when Solomon uses this term here, A-T-A-R, he means this, that you have listened to it and then you are applying it. Not just the in one ear and out the other. No, you have heard it, and now you are applying it. You're putting it into practice. And so my son, my daughter, hear your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. They do have just a little bit of experience on their side, too. They've probably been through everything that you've been through. I mean, I know it's in the dinosaur age. Yes, we know that. Okay. But the fact is, we have been through that. We know what's there. And that which we have been taught from the Word of God, hear it and then apply it. Put it into practice. The reason we want to apply what we've been taught is because we need a foundation to stand on 
when temptation comes our way. My son, verse 10, if sinners entice you, maybe we could even put it, when sinners entice you, it's going to happen. This is going to take place in your life. Anybody here ever experienced temptation? <laughs> I think that was a laugh of agreement, wasn't it? <laughs> of course we've experienced temptation. This is a part of our life. It always seems to be knocking on our door. It's around us. Maybe even right now you're facing a temptation. Your mind's somewhere else right now. I think the pastor's speaking. We, we know that it happens even right now in the midst of where we're at. Temptation is all around us. It's common to every individual who has ever lived. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. In every respect, tempted as we are. He knew every temptation you've ever faced and every temptation I've ever faced. He knew it. Yet, without sin. That's why he could be the Savior. The spotless Lamb of God. He couldn't be that if he sinned. And we could have long theological discussions about whether he could sin or not, okay? That's safe for seminary. That's safe for Bible college, okay? We don't need to go through that. But the fact is, he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he did not sin. Last Monday night, getting back from Juarez, getting kind of my feet back on the ground again, I picked up my um, Today in the Word, my devotional from Moody Bible Institute that I use at nighttime read through there. And I missed a few days earlier in the, the month. And here's what I read when I was going back. Just like God. You see it? 9-11. Trials and temptations. Oh, that's when I'm preaching on this Sunday. <laughs> oh, 9-12. A way out of temptation. 9-13. Praying through temptation. 9.14, true confessions. 9.15, why confession works. Do you think God knew where I was going? <laughs> Just like that. I'd missed those days. I hadn't read those days. And I go back and I make to get, make up for it, and that's what I read thinking about. That's where we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 8 through 19 of Proverbs. And as I read those, I was kindly reminded of this thought and this fact. Temptation is not a sin. It's just an invitation to sin. It's not a sin. It's just an invitation to sin. Yesterday, I opened up my computer. First article I come to and a number of articles that have come, blogs that come to me, is a Faith Gateway article. And the title and the byline in it is this. Temptation is not a sin. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. First thing I read yesterday, temptation, and has an equal sign with a slice through it. Temptation is not sin. 
Now, we, we, we understand this. Temptation and sin has appeal. You remember Adam and Eve and the apple? Appeal? <laughs> okay, you're with me. I know that was really bad. But temptation has appeal, right? I mean, if it's really, really no appeal at all, we wouldn't even go that direction. But temptation and sin has appeal. Satan knows what he's doing as he works on us and gives us an invitation to sin. How does a person get involved in sinful behavior? It starts with the first. The first cigarette. The first joint. The first beer. The first stolen item. The first night sneaking out. The first glance at porn on your phone. The first suggestive text, suggestive text. The first dark spot in the car. The first lie. The first use of the F word. The first adding extra time to your timesheet. The first cheating on the test. I could go on and on and on. Avoid the first. And you have a better chance of avoiding the second and the third. We all know that. We all know these things that we struggle with started with the first. We can't undo that. We know that. There is forgiveness that comes for our sin, of course. First John chapter 1, verse, 10, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, there is forgiveness. But wherever you're at now, don't start a new first. Because it could end up as a habit. Now we know from experience that temptation can rise up from within us, from inside us. James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Listen closely. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured and enticed sounds like a, a hunting term. <laughs> it is. That's the picture that's there. A trap that is set. That's the exact picture from the Greek. But there's a trap set out there. And we put something in it to make it appealing to that animal. And that's what happens to us with temptation. The trap is there, but there's something in it that's appealing to us. And when we are lured and enticed by our own desire, it goes on. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth. Temptation comes from within. It rises up out of us. We don't understand that sometimes. We, we can be in the midst of praying and all of a sudden temptation comes to our mind and to our heart. But where in the world did that come from? It came from 
inside us. But we also know, as Solomon reminds us in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, that temptation also comes from outside of us. If sinners entice you, and they will. And they will. O.S. Hawkins, in the article that said, temptation is not sin, as I read yesterday, said this, the devil never made us do anything, Flip Wilson. He simply dangles the bait in front of us. He simply dangles the bait in front of us to see what we will do with it. The bait to entice us, to tempt us to sin, to lust after that person, to gamble or drink. But of course, call 1-800-ADDICTION if you have a gambling or alcohol problem. Or as Governor Newsom of California, in his billboards he's placed in Republican states, uses scripture to justify abortion. If you haven't read about this, it basically says, you come to California and we'll take care of you if you need an abortion. Because, love your neighbor as yourself. You can read it. You can go on the web. You can go on the field and you can see it. It's right there. I looked it up this morning. Uses the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself because there's no greater commandment than these. Of course, he forgot the first commandment, which is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he uses scripture to justify the murder of a child. Don't use scripture that way. That's wrong. That's out of context. It's interesting that he does that. And you'll see that Solomon details two sins in this passage. My son... If sinners entice you, if they say, verse 11, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, let it, like, like shield, let us swallow them alive and, like, and whole like those who go down to the pit. Talking about a, a robbery, thievery that's taken place, and within it, the possibility of murder. To take a life. That's number six in the Ten Commandments, in case you don't know that. Number six, thou shalt not murder. Take a life. It happens in abortion. It happens in a homicide. It happens with euthanasia. Now, I, I know, more than 99% of us will never murder, right? We're not going to do that. But the fact is, Jesus broadened that in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you've heard that it's said long ago in the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Other translations say, hate his brother will be liable to judgment. He says... If you hate somebody, it is the same thing as literally taking a life. You have murdered them. 
Because he recognizes most of us are not going to commit murder. But he understands that it's the heart. And when we have have hate toward one another, and anger that's unbridled towards somebody, we've committed the same sin. And then as we take a look at this passage, we see it's about stealing, it's about thievery. That's number eight in the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. Now, we have not murdered, but i got a feeling probably most of us have stolen at some point in our lives. I'm not going to ask for hands right now. Okay. But the item at the store, the time at work, the defrauding of a person, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, sexually. Stealing something from them that doesn't belong to you. Stealing somebody's reputation through gossip or slander. Yeah, probably we've committed something along those lines. You see, Solomon tells us that temptation in verse 14 will come from the outside when friends invite you to participate in sin with them. When he says, throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. I put in my words, join us and we'll share the plunder together. Uh, probably that's a big fat lie. <laughs> that's an empty promise. Since a person who is selfish enough to take a life or take goods from someone is going to share their plunder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Larry's going, no, that's not going to happen. What I stole is mine. I stole it, therefore it belongs to me. Think with me. Apply what you have been taught from the Word of God. Why? Because temptation is going to come your way. And when temptation comes your way, turn away from it, he says. Solomon says, my son, if sinners entice you, verse 9, if sinners entice you, or verse 8, or verse 9, 10, I'll get it right, it's right there, if sinners entice you, what does he say? Don't do it. Do not consent. If your own self entices you, go for it. Do it. No. If your own self says to you, sin, do not consent. Verse 15. My son, if these sinners entice you, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Put in my words, just say, yeah, it's so easy to do though, isn't it? Yeah. Don't go there, he says. Don't go with them. Stay home and be wise. Don't head that direction. Head another direction. But don't go with them. And then Solomon, in verse 16, says, he gives a picturesque description of what sinners do. Their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. That's what they want to do. That's their M.O. That's where they want to move, and that's where they want to move you and, and me. In other words, in my words, they are eager to sin. Nothing's holding them back. They want to sin, and they want to invite others to join them in their sin. And 
then we go into verse 17. He gives another picturesque description, an illustration of the action of these sinners. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of his possessors. His illustration is this, as I, as I see it. Even a bird, if he sees a trap, and we know it's not all the time, okay, but a bird, if he sees a trap, you know what he's going to do about it? He's going to avoid it. He's going to fly away. He's smart. He's wise. But these men, you know what they do? They set a trap for themselves. And guess what happens? It traps them. The bird's smart enough. Flight for survival. But we as humans, as sinners, by our sin and these who would entice you, they set their own trap and their own trap catches them. I mentioned to you in our first sermon that the book of Proverbs is a book of contrasts. And here is a contrast. The bird that says, you ain't going to catch me. And the person who says, I'm setting a trap and I'm going to get caught by it in my The bird is wise, the man is foolish, or the woman is foolish who goes down this path with the sinners. I mean, what, what, could, you, what could you suffer by being in sin? Oh, let's see the, the loss of your reputation, the loss of your family, the loss of your job. You ever see anybody in prison, Larry? Yeah, thousands who set a trap for themselves and got trapped by it. Now, we have gracious compassion for them. We want to see them come to Christ. Larry's just telling me 32 people in two prisons were just baptized because they've come to know Jesus. A work of God is going there, okay? God's working. But, but they set themselves up, unfortunately. Is there redemption? Oh, yes, of course there is. Praise God for it. But let's not be that way. Let's not put ourselves in those positions, Solomon said. Don't put yourself in that position to get caught by your own trap. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not walk in their ways. Stay home. Don't go there. Say no, as difficult as it can be at times. We understand. So how do we say no to sin? How do we say no to temptation? First thought is this. Who are you in Christ? If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you are a child of God. You're a child of the King. Therefore, how should you act? like a child of the king. Like the king himself. Have you ever heard of WWJD? I know that was a cliche a long time ago, but it works. 
what would Jesus do? I know what Jesus did when it came to temptation. He said, no. Every time. Yet without sin. Tempted in every way, in respect, in every way like us. And yet without sin. Now, we know that we're going to sin. I mean, First John chapter 2 tells us that. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father on what Jesus Christ has done. We understand. We're going to because we are human. But if we remember when temptation comes, who we belong to and who's watching us. Like, Holy Spirit, you're right there with me. My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. He's a part of my life. If I recognize that, maybe if you just make himself present and you kind of hang on to us, maybe we'd do a better job, right? Well, even the disciples still sinned and Jesus was right next to them. But if we just remember who we are, I don't want to offend him because he loves me, he cares for me, knows what's best for me. You're a child of the King. If you don't know Jesus, man, today's the day to come to know him and to say yes to him. Admit that you're a sinner because you are. We all are. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died on the cross for you. Confess your faith in Him. Say yes to Him. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I want to have heaven when my time on earth is over. I want your peace. I want your joy. I want your help through this life to help me say no to temptation. Don't miss the opportunity to make Him a part of you. But when temptation comes, it comes knocking, that invitation comes. If we just remember who we are, I know it would help me to say, no, I'm not going to consent. I'm not going to walk that way. Now, the way that we can help ourselves through temptation is be in the Word. Know the Word. Did anybody ever encourage you to read a chapter of Proverbs a day? And as I was reading it today, it was just like, man, that is so good. Chapters 24 and 20, there's so much helpful truth that's found there in us. Know the Word. Get into the Word. Take the time to put it as a part of your life. I said earlier, when we sin, there is forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for that can go to him when we can confession meaning I admit to God that what I did was wrong. The devil didn't make me do it. My friends didn't make me do it. I chose to go that way. And Lord, when I chose to do that, it was wrong. It was an offense against you. That's much better than just saying, Lord, I'm sorry. We do that pretty flippantly. But when we name that sin, it takes a lot of humility to be able to do that. And to say to him, what I did was wrong. Go to him. Confess it to him. He knows anyway. But he wants you just to share with him. You understand what you did was wrong. 
think about forgiveness. Think about what it cost Jesus on the cross to make forgiveness possible. Think about what it cost him on the cross to make forgiveness possible. Did you happen to read today's Daily Bread? How's this for fitting in really wisely? Well, I just gave it away. How's it fitting in well? Choose wisely. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I don't know why he just doesn't write the sermons for me. It'd be a lot easier. (laughs) Choose wisely. Today. Choose wisely, my friend. Choose wisely. Will you heed what the Father says to his Son here? When sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not walk in the path with them. Will you heed the Heavenly Father's warning all through Scripture about temptation and sin? Will you listen to the Father of lies, Satan, or will you listen to the Father of truth? And will you receive the blessings of the Heavenly Father by saying no to temptation and yes to His perfect way for you? You've heard me say this many times. You'll probably hear it as long as I live. The only thing more costly than obedience is disobedience. Obedience is costly. This day and age, yes, we understand that. Not nearly as costly as what disobedience is. When your friends say, let's go sin, just say no to them. When your friends say, let's go sin, just say yes to Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I know I'm the last thing to help you avoid sin. Hang around helpful friends. Hang around the people that will help you exalt Him and listen to you. Listen to Him. We'll see a little bit more about that as we go into the rest of chapter 1. Wisdom calling out. But this, remember this too. The only thing more rewarding than obedience is more obedience. The only thing more costly than obedience is disobedience. But the only thing more rewarding than obedience is more obedience. And that's what we'll get when we say yes to Him and no to temptation. Let's keep working on it. Share with me what God's teaching you so I can weave these into my sermon. If God shows you something in the Word, if God shows you something in your devotional material, I'm going to be able to share that encouragement to one another. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this teaching that we've received. Solomon caring enough for his son and sons and us today that he would share to share with us the reality of life. 
Life has temptation. Life has struggles. But you want to help us. And also, just if we had good common sense, we wouldn't say yes to going down a path that could be destructive to us. We would say yes to a path that is good for us and helpful for us. Would you help us to do that which is right and holy and pure and good? Help us to think about those things, Philippians chapter 8, verse chapter 4, 8, 9. Help us to think about the things that are true, right, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's the things we need to think about. The things we think about will be the things that we do. So help each of us. Help these young people. And the things around them are difficult. They're hard. Yet, they're still around when you're in your 60s and 70s too. They don't go away. Maybe different levels, different things, but the temptations are still. Help us all as the body of Christ here at Majestic to say yes to you. No to those that would want to take us down a path that doesn't bring honor to you. Thank you that you are the one who showed us the path to go to. You are the man of sorrows, yet without sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for bearing our sins in your body on the tree so that we might become the righteousness of God through you, what you've done for us. The sacrifice you made for us that we can be forgiven of our sins and have freedom 